Now let's get into the Word of God tonight. Um, tonight is about leaving a legacy. That's the title of my teaching tonight. We've talked about marriage, the covenant of marriage, what it means to enter into that spiritual agreement with someone, with God in the center. We've talked about parenting by way of faith. We've talked about young children. We had a, a message on teenagers, teenager, mean age. Last week, how to affair proof your marriage, great teaching. And tonight we wanna to get into the legacy part. Why is parenting so important? Why is it so important to have a godly marriage? Why is it so important to be in the Word of God? Why is it so important to love people who are less fortunate than you? Why is it so important to mentor people who need a hand up? I don't believe in the word handout. I believe in a hand up because a handout is something someone takes and it doesn't change their life. It might change their circumstance in that moment, but a hand up means you literally help someone uh, make a way to improve their situation and have a better life. And so there are people out there that need guidance. They need mentorship. They need to know what's inside of your mind, what's inside your heart. And the greatest thing we can do uh, for the people coming after us is to pour into them and teach them the lessons that we've learned through experience, through mistakes, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, in the Church of God. People can grow in their walk with the Lord and in their careers if they can learn what you know. You know something that would be a benefit or a help to some young person who may not have the guidance they need to be who God's called them to be. So mentorship, legacy, making a difference that lives on after you're gone. What people say about you is not nearly as important as what people will remember about you when you're gone. That's what a legacy is. It's what people will remember about you when you're long gone. Uh, it's what you leave when you leave. When you leave this earth, what, what you leave behind. Um, my question is, what about you will live on when you are gone? Spiritually, financially, practically, medically, whatever it may be, what about you will live on when you are gone? Psalms 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is a generational passage. And then Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Don't ever let these religious-minded people steer you away from wealth in the Bible, blessing in the Bible, favor in the Bible, because it's in there. It's laced throughout scriptures. Now that is not the gospel. The gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be saved and forgiven and have eternal life because of the payment Jesus made on the cross of Calvary. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. But never allow a religious person to pull you away from some of the principles of sowing and reaping and wealth and health and all of those things. Just because a few men and women have perverted those principles uh, doesn't negate the fact that those principles are still God's word and God can still bless you uh, in your business, whatever you're doing. God wants to bless you because 
it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if he blesses you and you're a funnel and, and you pour out into other people and you use the blessing of God to pour into your children, your grandchildren, to the people that are coming after you in business, th those are legacy moves, kingdom moves. And I believe as long as you're doing what's right with God's money, he will trust you with it. So this is speaking not only of wealth, but also spiritual health. It's also speaking of God's blessing on your life. And it says, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Uh, most versions of the Bible, you never see the word legacy, not even one time. Legacy focuses on what will endure. It is about passing on things of lasting value to those who will live on after us. Legacy involves living intentionally and investing our time and energy into what really matters, spiritual matters, domestic matters, what really matters. So the Lord took me to Psalms 112, which is one of the greatest passages of scripture on legacy in the Bible. And Psalms 112 is an acrostic psalm, which means if you go from Psalms 111 to Psalms 112, uh, they had an equal amount of lines. They both, each line begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the same exact letter, and they relate. Psalms 111 uh, is about the works of the Lord. Psalms 112 is about the family and God's favor on the family and God's promises being fulfilled. So they both are connected in an acrostic way. So let's get into the word of God. It begins with a praise, praise the Lord. Amen? Shouldn't everything begin that way? With a praise coming out of our mouths. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. The Bible says that fearing the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. In other words, if you don't have a healthy fear, reverence, or respect for God the Father, then you'll never be able to receive anything else in his kingdom. If you don't respect his word, respect his truth, respect him as a holy God, then you'll never be able to go any deeper in your walk with God. Your relationship with God begins with a healthy reverence, awe, and respect of him. It says after Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. So Psalms 111 is about his works. Psalms 112 is about his commands and the results of those who follow his commands closely. So we have old covenant grace right here in the first verse. Blessed are those who fear the Lord who find great delight in his commands. In other words, they don't look at the laws of God as a drag. They don't see the word of God or his statutes as something that they begrudgingly have to get up and do every day. They delight in his commands. The people who not only fear God, but delight in doing the work of God and following the will of God, those people are going to be blessed. Not I have to go to church, I wanna to go to church. Not I have to give an offering, I wanna give an offering. Not I have to be in the house of God, I wanna be in the house of God. That is an old covenant picture, type and shadow of God's grace. 
Because of Jesus, we don't have to do anything, but we get to, amen? We want to because of the love we have for Jesus. Verse two, let's get into the legacy part. Their children will be mighty in the land. This is not speaking in the Hebrew of physical strength. This means being of recognized stature or standing. They're children. So you have an individual who makes a choice to break the curse, bring about the blessing, and that person is a devout person that fears the Lord, who delights in the word of God and the commands of God. What the Bible is promising us here is if we do those things, our children will be mighty in the land. They will be recognized. They will have great stature or standing in the community and in the world. And most importantly, in the kingdom of God. This is not just what they'll do on this earth. It's what they will achieve and walk in in the kingdom of heaven. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Now, here, here's this word again that's been made a dirty word. Wealth and riches are in their houses. Why? Why, after we speak of the fear of God and the commands of God, and the results of a person who chooses to break the curse of their family line and embrace God, why is wealth and riches here? Because let me, let me say this to you, friend. You can't do anything on a large scale in the kingdom without money these days. You can't. Look at, look, we had an election last night. Look at how much money these folks raise and lose some of them. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And some of these people, I don't know where their brain is. And the people that give money to them, millions and millions of dollars. And we ask for money at church and it's like we're the devil. <laughs> and we believe that what we're offering the world is eternal, that it's, from the kingdom of heaven and that it will outshine the kingdom of darkness. We believe what we're doing is real and honorable and biblical. We believe in what we're doing. We believe it's more powerful than a cure for cancer. We believe the gospel is the greatest thing in the world. We believe it changes minds, hearts, lives, heals, and guarantees someone eternity. So that's going to take money, especially in this culture, to get that message everywhere that it needs to be, as well as in our own community. Because we are being silenced more and more every day from simply sharing the gospel, which is good news, with the people of this world. So it says wealth and riches are going to be in their house, and their, and their righteousness will endure forever. And, and what that means is that it will not fade in this world or the world to come. So you can make a difference in the lives of people, in the lives of your children and grandchildren. You can leave a spiritual deposit in them that will carry them throughout their entire lives. Every person has to make a decision. 
am I going to embrace the curse of Adam or the blessing of Abraham? Because if you look back in the scriptures, you know Adam and Eve fell into sin. They, they committed a sin. God gave them ecstasy, gave them everything, but said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know the story, uh, the serpent, all of those things. They knew they shouldn't do it. They did it. And then the result was nakedness, shame, humanity, sin, flesh, struggle, bondage, death, pain in childbirth. All of those things were the result of their disobedience. Now the word sin there in Genesis, I heard this from a rabbi. The Hebrew word there is not translated the same as our word for sin in the New Testament. Sin in the New Testament means to miss the mark. I've taught you that before. Sin is to miss the mark, trespass is to cross the line, transgress is to hurt the heart of God, and iniquity is to be eat up with it. So everybody sins. Everybody misses the mark. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned, right, and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, every one of us has missed the mark, probably this week. But if you don't get your sins in check, and you don't repent of them, and you don't confess them, then your sins will lead to trespassing. You will cross over a line because you haven't acknowledged God in your life, and you'll end up on ground you should have never been on. Then you continue down that path and you stay on that ground for so long that you end up hurting the heart of God. And then if you continue down that path, you end up eating up with iniquity and demons and you can't even recognize who you are any longer. You end up actually working for the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light. That's the process of missing the mark all the way to iniquity. Well, this word in Genesis, in the story of Adam and Eve, the creation story, literally means to step down. It does not mean to miss the mark. So in other words, Adam and Eve stepped down from their royalty and all that God had promised them, they stepped down into humanity by choice, which brought a curse. Jesus bore that curse on the cross, right? He paid for it with his own blood as fulfillment of prophecy. So that curse has been broken. It has been broken because of the blood of Jesus. And those of us that accept Jesus, we're no longer under that curse where we live um, just with the expectation of the best this world has to offer. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. So Adam and Eve stepped down into humanity. Humanity's been under a curse for so long. Jesus bore that curse. But then Abraham, he was promised a great land and a blessing and a people and a nation as well. So you have to decide, every person has to make this decision. And I'm, am I gonna keep going down the road, especially people that come from an ungodly background? All right. If your parents weren't Christians or your grandparents weren't Christians or you were raised in an ungodly home where ungodly things went on, you have to make a decision to break that curse off your life, accept Jesus into your heart, be forgiven, and cut out your own path in the kingdom of God. And that takes courage. It takes faith. It takes perseverance. It takes tenacity 
to go from what you've always known, just like Abraham did, left his father's house and had to go with God and leave everything behind. But because of his obedience, God blessed him and said, every nation that will come from your loins will be blessed. It started with being willing to take a faith chance on a better life. So you have to decide, am I going to live under the curse of what I've always known, what my parents taught me, my grandparents taught me, or am I really going to open my mind to the possibility that God may have something more for me? And I know there's some people listening, and you have to ask yourself this question, do you really want for your kids what you had? Now, I'm looking at some people who are godly people. I don't know all of your stories, but I know most of them. And that question may not apply to you, but there'll be some people listening. And you have to ask yourself, do you really want your experience to be your kids' or grandkids' experience? Answer for most of us is no. Even those of us that had good parents, I think we all want to improve on it, right? We all try to give our children and grandchildren more than what we had. We all want to improve on our experience, right? And so it's a conscious decision every day to be better, to live for God, and to try to be an example to our kids of who God is, really, so that they will not depart from the faith when they get older. It goes on to say this. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. In other words, because of a faithful patriarch that chose the blessing over the curse, that took a faith chance to change the game, to change the narrative, to be different, to create a new family dynamic that's no longer under the curse of poverty, disease, hatefulness, anger, strife. We're going to create this new family line that's godly, that's blessed, that's educated. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to create a whole new path a whole new branch of this family tree that honors God. It says if we do that, then our descendants, even during difficult and dark days, the light's gonna shine on them. So if, and I've taught you this four weeks ago, if a generational curse lasts three generations, how long does the blessing last? Well, let me say this, um, the blessing of, of Abraham is for every one of us. We have to accept it and walk in it. It's not going to fall and hit us in the head. And Jesus Christ breaking that curse on the cross and shedding his blood for us, that's already been paid for as well. But if we don't accept that and we don't make Jesus the Lord of our life, then we can't have the blessings associated with the sacrifice. So it begins with the decision. But the Bible teaches us in the Old Testament, now the New Testament, we're all blessed and have a path because of Jesus. I'm talking old covenant here. Old covenant, a curse would last three generations. A blessing would too. I still believe that in the practical sense that you can walk in the blessing for th three generations because of what one person did, a decision one person made to change the narrative, to change their family line and their family structure. I think of my grandmother all the time. Uh, she lived in poverty. My grandfather had a fourth grade education, was an army veteran. My grandmother worked at J.C. Penney's 30 years. My grandfather, because he was abused and abandoned by his family, his mother died when he was younger. He, he had an alcohol problem and it 
wasn't just that he would get drunk, it was that he would medicate with it from about Thursday till Sunday. He'd drink a fifth almost every weekend and sober up just to hide the pain of his past. He never dealt with the abuse and the things that he went through. My grandmother could have left him and in this culture would have probably been encouraged to leave him, but she never left him. She loved him and prayed for him and later he got saved and she got saved and at, at a little church, a little Baptist church, they got saved and started serving God. And, and I look at the result of that change and it was a very hard life and it took quite a while for that transformation to take place, but every one of their kids are still married. My uncle, my father, both my aunts, they all got college degrees. They're all blessed financially. They're all still alive. My uncle's 78, my dad's 75. They're both heavy and they're still here. They've both been heavy for like 50 years. My point is, I really believe that although they earned it, although they went to school, they made the grades, they did things the right way, I really believe it began, it began with my grandparents making a decision, right, to do things God's way. And now that we're in the third generation, the grandchildren, some of us have messed that up at times. Some of us haven't. But now we're in the third generation and we gotta decide, are we gonna renew that blessing? Or are we gonna walk away from it, right? And we have to make that decision because you can't run on grandmama's faith forever. You can't run on granddaddy's faith forever. You got to find faith for yourself and decide how you're gonna honor God in your life. Is this good? Is everybody getting this? Good. All right. It says, even darkness, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. So your descendants in this season, they're gonna be blessed because of your faithfulness. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, God will come to those who are generous and lend freely. That's good, isn't it? So people who are generous and help the poor, generous, lend freely, good will come to them. Good will come to them because they made a decision to do it God's way. Who conduct their affairs with justice. Now, not the kind of affair my dad taught on last week, okay? That's not the kind of affair we're talking about here. We're talking about their daily affairs, their work, how they deal with people in the community, how they interact, how they support people. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. So remember the way we began, you know, how do you wanna be remembered? What will people remember about you when you're gone? What are you leaving behind that matters of a spiritual Value. What are you leaving behind? What are you leaving to the next generation? Yes, it should be your children. Yes, it should be your grandchildren. But what about you will live on when you are gone? Ecclesiastes 2 verse 16 says, For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. Ooh, I love Solomon because he's so cynical. And he just cuts to the chase. For the wise, like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. We can get so caught up in worrying about what we're leaving behind that it becomes an obsession. 
My experience is when people live right and do it God's way, they are remembered and the things that they did, the things that they said, the things that they wrote, the business endeavors they created, those things live on not because they were obsessed with it when they were alive, but because they were obsessed with what they were called to do. And the legacy part's just a ripple effect, but the reality is a uh, hundred years after you die, very few people are remembered, even by their own family. That's the reality. Very few people are remembered after they die. So what can live on? What you leave behind, right? What will live on? What you leave in your children? We're all so worried about how much money we leave to our kids. We need to be worried about what we leave in them, not what we leave to them. What we leave in them spiritually will last a lot longer than what we leave to them. And so what is a godly legacy? Let me give you five things tonight. If you're a note taker, you can have at it. What is a godly legacy? If I was to leave a legacy, this is what I would want to leave. In a perfect world, if I could write down my legacy, this is what I would want it to be. And it's based on scripture, not just personality. The first thing is a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life. I, I believe you can leave a legacy of a spirit-filled life. The greatest thing I believe we can teach our children is to know how to get to the throne room of heaven, to know how to pray, to know how to call on the name of Jesus, to know how to get deep in the things of the Spirit of God. Not religion, but the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God, yes, but if you don't give them the Spirit of God, and they've never seen you in the Spirit, they've never seen you pray, they've never seen you channel the Holy Ghost, that's one of the most important things we can leave our children. The Holy Spirit is a person, it is a helper, it is a comforter, it is a teacher, it is a witness to Jesus Christ, it convicts, has fellowship with us, it speaks to us, it prays, it teaches, it preaches, it promises, and it delivers. So if you're gone, mom, dad, grandmother, grandma, if you've got to leave your loved ones on this earth, then wouldn't you want to leave them a teacher that can teach them what they don't know? that can help them when they need help, that can comfort them when they're hurting, crying, disappointed, when they failed at something, that will be a witness to Jesus to them long after you're gone and can't do it, that will convict them if they're going down the wrong path, that will have fellowship with them when they're lonely, that'll speak to them, that will promise things to them. Of course you do. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus left us. He said, I'm going to the Father, but I'm leaving you my spirit. And so we should leave the spirit of God to our children. You hear us talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in Ibis House, and it's not because we're kooks, flakes, or nuts. Well, some of us are, but I'm not. Um, it's because we understand the value of a spirit-filled life. It's not something we used to brag on ourselves or to pretend we're better than other believers. But we've just come too far in the spiritual walk to go back. We really believe this stuff. We really believe that the Holy Spirit is the only God on earth right now. That's what Jesus left us. And we believe the entire Bible. 
that the spiritual life is important, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit found in the book of Romans, those are important, that you have to go all into your walk with God. Because I tell my boys all the time, they're all saved and baptized, and I believe they're going to heaven. But there are times when they ask me for advice, and I say, you're going to have to learn how to get a hold of God for yourself. You're going to have to learn how to get up there and pray for your own miracle, your own blessing. You're going to have to learn how to get a hold of God. Have you asked God? Have you prayed about it? Because I want them to know they've got to learn to get a hold of God. They can't depend on me forever, and they can't depend on their mother forever, or my parents who can pray as well. They can't depend on grandmother or grandfather forever. They need their own walk with God. Acts 19, it says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I pray that's not the legacy we're leaving to our children. Go to church, you know, have, have this religion in your life, but don't really have an intimate walk with God. No, they need to have a spiritual walk with God. That will help them far better than you could ever help them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, therefore he who rejects this, the spirit of God, does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. You know, you're not rejecting me or Abba's house or a charismatic pastor when you reject the spirit. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting God when you reject the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So we need to teach them to have access to heaven, to learn how to get a hold of God for themselves. The Holy Spirit has to do with the mind. It can enrich and enhance your mind, the Bible teaches. So if they have trouble learning, or believing in themselves, they have a confidence problem. Listen, friend, the Holy Spirit can save them and give them wisdom. Proverbs eleven thirty teaches us that. Pro, uh, Isaiah eleven verse two. Say, this is prophetic about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That spirit that rested on Jesus is the same one he left us when he ascended to the Father. So we can accomplish things by way of the Spirit. Everything I have ever accomplished since I've been an adult has been by way of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, you still have to work hard. You still have to put the time in, but it's easier. I'm just telling you. It, you have to work hard. You have to do what you're physically able to do. But when the Spirit is leading, it's easier. Amen? Bill Gates said one time that he didn't want to hire the hardest worker. He wanted to hire the laziest one who figured out a way to do the job easier. That's the kind of people he wanted to hire. Well, listen, I'm not for lazy people. But one thing I'll tell you is a lot of us are working very hard for things that God's already paid for. A lot of us are working hard in religion trying to prove ourselves to God when he's already proved himself to us. A lot of us are missing the blessing trying to prove ourselves to people and to God when he has already gifted us. When if we would just allow the spirit to lead us, we'd really pray about things, God would show us the answers. 
And later on it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That really speaks to the church in Ephesians 4.30, but I put that in here because of this. When you don't give your child or your children or grandchildren the Holy Spirit, you grieve what it can do in their lives. If you don't connect them to the Holy Spirit of God, it can be grieved almost as if you're ashamed of the Spirit. In a refresher, God is three, and one in three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the only God we have on earth right now. Jesus is coming back, I believe, in bodily form. The Holy Spirit is what we have right now. It's what convicts you of your sins. It's what, it's your conscience. It's, it's, it's what speaks to you when you read the Word. Okay? The Holy Spirit will not only capture your mind, it will capture and, and your will. You've been given a free will. God could have made us robots. He didn't. Um, so when the Holy Spirit's on you, you'll be willing to do more. You'll be willing and able to do things that you would have never done without the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever had to forgive somebody you didn't want to forgive? I'm raising my hand right now for those listening on the podcast. I didn't do that because I wanted to or because it felt good. The Holy Spirit made me forgive them, Right? The Bible says in Matthew 5.41, they tried to trip Jesus up. He said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Well, if you don't like someone and they've offended you or grieved you, you're not trying to do extra for them. <clears throat> but there are times where the Holy Spirit will make you do that. It will capture your will. It will make you do the right thing even when you don't want to. It can also heal your emotions. James 3, verse 15 through 17 says, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But here, here it goes, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So the Spirit of God will give you the wisdom from heaven. There is man's wisdom that can be earned, but then there's the wisdom that comes from heaven. The wisdom of knowing what to do, how to respond, where to go, who to connect with. There are two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom that is learned here on earth and the wisdom that can only be accessed through intimacy with God the Father. Okay, that was a lot. Number two. The kind of legacy I would like to leave that I believe the Bible teaches us to leave, I've touched on some of this already, is a faith-filled life. So you wanna leave a spirit-filled life behind, teach your children, grandchildren, and those that you mentor, right? It doesn't have to be blood-related. You may be able to leave these things to a person that you're not even kin to, because Lord knows we have a daddy problem in this nation, and that's a bigger issue than drugs, gangs. It's a daddy issue. So maybe if the men of God would stand up, step up, and start volunteering to mentor these young men, and the women would mentor the young women, we could see a revival in our nation. Amen? And we could leave some of these things to them so that they could be the change agent God's called them to be in their family. Faith-filled life, not a fake-filled life is what I put. Faith-filled, not fake field. Okay. I believe my boys would say that of me. Uh, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a phony. I am who I am publicly, privately. Uh, I give it to you straight. 
that's kind of been one thing that I've been passionate about my whole life. I felt like if I was going to lead people, I had to be me. <laughs> I couldn't be some kind of carbon copy or, or want to be of someone else. I had to be who God had created me to be. So we want to leave the spirit. We also want to leave faith. Um, God made a covenant with Abraham because of his faith. We've touched on his story a little bit. Being able to leave the comfort of his father's home, what he'd always known, and trust God to go to another land that he would inherit. He created a covenant with God. Here's what it says. Let me read it to you. Genesis 22, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, this was the test of sacrifice when he was willing to lay his precious son Isaac on the altar of Mount Moriah and see his son slain, he was willing to do that. God created a substitutionary sacrifice in the woods there, a ram in the thicket. And, and after he passed this test, which was the second test, the first test was leaving home, the second test was actually offering the son he'd been waiting for to pass 100 years old, actually offering the son Isaac back up to God. He says, I will surely bless you. Check this out. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because, check this out, you have obeyed me. I'm about to get old school Baptist for just a minute. But isn't that the root of it all? Obedience to God saying yes to God, respecting his word, respecting his spirit, being willing to do what his word says to do. It all begins with obedience. It begins and ends with obedience. And the blessing comes when we obey. So a faith-filled person is a person of resolve. That's who Abraham was. He was a person of resolve. He was a person that was willing to work it out, not walk out person that will work it out instead of walk out. I want my boys to know that, uh, you know, their daddy was not a quitter. He was a person of faith. And when things got difficult, I didn't quit on them. I didn't quit on my church. I didn't quit on my teams. I didn't quit on my friends. I didn't quit on what God had called me to do. Now, there have been days I wanted to. Listen, I have. There's been days I'm like, what am I doing this for? You know what I mean? You got to love people that don't love you back. You got to waste your weekend on people who don't care nothing about you. You, you got to deal with people that don't respect you, don't honor you, that don't have a clue what you do. But at the end of the day, that's what God told you to do. And I don't quit. I do what he's called me to do. Person of resolve, person of compassion. You know, if we're going to leave them the faith of Abraham, they need to be and see that we're people of resolve, that we're people of compassion, that we're genuine, that we're people of grace, that we're gifted, that we're people that set goals and see those goals through. And most importantly, that I'm a person of the word. So those are things we should all leave behind. Faith, resolve, compassion, and the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. 
all scripture. So if we can leave a love for the word of God, we'll see a fruit from that. So a spirit-filled life, a faith-filled life, not a fake-filled life. And number three, a purpose-filled life, not a pride-filled life. A purpose-filled life. What is our purpose? Well, it's the same purpose that God the Father put on Jesus from the book of Isaiah. The first time he stood up in the synagogue at 12 years old, he pulled open that scroll and he read from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Purpose-filled life. We must first understand that we've been adopted. If we're going to walk in our purpose, we've got to get rid of all the daddy issues, the identity issues, and know that we've been chosen by Abba Father. God chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. He created us. So we've been adopted into a new family. When you get saved, your family line is broken. You're a part of God's family now. So you have to understand you've been adopted. You've been accepted into the beloved, that you're part of a new family, that you don't have to be a byproduct of a cursed bloodline, that you're now part of a blessed line. You can make the right decisions. You can do the things that honors God. Your children can have it better than you. Your grandchildren can have it better than you. We've been adopted, accepted into the beloved. We've been anointed. If you have the first two, spirit-filled life, faith-filled life, if you've been able to walk those things out in front of the generation that's coming after you, then you've been anointed, which means you have had God's power come on you for the work he's called you to do. You leave behind the anointing, that's a game changer. When you allow your kids to see that they can tap into the kingdom of heaven and God can put his super on their natural, that God can put his power on their intellect, their influence, their athletic ability, their musical talent, whatever it may be, their education, that God can put his super on their natural gift and it will be better and that it will not drain them, it will sustain them. We've not only been accepted and anointed and called, we've been sent. God has sent us out to go into all the world and shine our light, to share our faith, and to set at liberty the captives. We ought to all be helping people in whatever way we can. Don't allow this political climate to keep you in your own religious box, my friends. Get out and love someone, help someone. Get involved in your community. Whatever age you are, find something you can do to help other people. Every one of us can do something. Some of us may not have the physical strength to do what we could in our 20s or 30s or 40s, but you can do something. You can encourage someone. You can pray for someone. You can get behind a move of God from your prayer closet or with your pocketbook. We can all be a part of something. I also believe that a, a godly legacy is a joy-filled life, not a judge-filled life. One of the things that I've tried to do, and we're going to go back to Ecclesiastes 2 for this one, beginning with verse 24. One of the things I've tried to do, because it took me a long time to discover the grace life. It really did. I, I, I was saved 
and I understood so much about the Word of God, even heard wonderful sermons about grace. But it took me really till my late 20s to understand really what grace meant biblically, what Jesus said, what he did. And I made it a mission of mine to impart joy into my children. And you say, how do you mean? I, I, don't, I didn't want the Christian experience to be a judge-filled, con condemnation-filled life for them. I wanted them to understand the joy of the Lord is their strength. I wanted them to understand that God's a good God. Yes, he's just, he's righteous. Yes, there are consequences. But I didn't want my children in adolescence and their teen years constantly feeling like they could never measure up. And that's the way I felt growing up. I felt like I could never get where I should get as a believer or a Christian. So much guilt, so much condemnation. And maybe you don't struggle with that, but I'm telling you, it's a sorry way to live. And a lot of people live that way in the church. Uh, they never feel worthy. They're eat up with guilt. They don't sleep. They think they've got to pray the sinner's prayer every night before they go to bed because they're eat up with guilt so bad. They have no freedom that is Christ. And Jesus did not die for you to worry every night whether or not you're going to hell. Jesus didn't die for you to live every day guilty. Jesus didn't die for you to live in misery. Jesus didn't die for you to live sick all the time. Jesus died so that you might have life and have it to the abundance, so that you might have more than enough, so that you could tap into heaven and walk in the victory that is Christ Jesus. So I have tried to teach my boys the joy of the Lord, the joyous things of the church and the Bible, so that they'll understand that he's a good God, that he's not... You know, as a child, I think I thought God was like this 150-year-old white guy that breathed fire when I was a little kid. I'm talking fire. I thought he was this old white guy that sat on a chair that really breathed fire, but he just got bored one day and sent his son Jesus to die so I wouldn't have to burn to death. I did. And I don't want my boys viewing God that way. I wanted them to view the real God, all the attributes of God. Um... This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. And I love Solomon. I've already told you that. It's my favorite Old Testament book. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? That's so good. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is vanity, chasing after the wind. So this is so good. Um, in other words, Solomon's saying, listen, a person should enjoy their lives. They should not be obsessed with saving all this worldly stuff up because it's not yours, you can't take it with you, and you don't even know what's gonna happen with all the stuff you're accumulating when you're gone. Your kids may blow through it or lose it in a lawsuit within two years. So don't be obsessed with that. Enjoy your life, love God, trust him for wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, and understand that if you're chasing after the best this world has to offer, then you're missing the mark. The last thing, uh, is to be generous, to be generous. I hope that every Christian lives a 
generosity-filled life, not a greed-filled life. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says that he has given us, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Um, Ephesians 5, one says we should be imitators of God. We should be givers. So what should we give the next generation? What should we give our grandchildren? What should we give our children? What should we give uh, the child that we're mentoring, the teenager we're mentoring, the 20 something we're mentoring? Well, the first thing is we should give them peace. Why? Because that's what Jesus gave us. Uh, many kids are struggling mentally today, knowing who they are, struggling with their identity. Jesus said to us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. Let your heart not be afraid. So we should fill the void of anxiety through relationship and give the next generation peace, peace that comes from God. We should give them comfort. Yes, the Holy Spirit can do these things, but we, since the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, should be vessels of comfort. Um, we should give wisdom, our knowledge and joy. Like some of you have so much up here and so much that could help a generation, man. And if you die, that goes with you if you don't give it. Like, if you don't give it out, uh, I think sometimes, like, you know, even now in my 40s, like, there are so many things that I know that I take for granted, especially about this work. I was on the golf course with one of my mentors one day, Dr. Alan Johnson, who's a wonderful pastor. He's helped me a lot over the years with seminary classes and college and things of that nature. Very brilliant man. And I was on the phone with a, with a staff person from here, a young staff person, probably seven years younger than me, a great staff person. They weren't doing anything wrong, but they were asking me what I perceived to be very dumb questions about a worship service we were doing. And I was getting frustrated after answering about four questions that to me were just common sense, Holy Spirit, Bible stuff. And I got off the phone and Dr. Johnson could tell I was grumpy and he was listening to the conversation and he said, look, give that person a break. They don't know what you know. Like you've been around this for your whole life. You've had been educated in it. You've got all these mentors. You've been doing it for 15 years you know things that they don't know. You've got to teach the people coming after you what you know. You've got to be not only a vessel, but a funnel that pours into other people. You've got to tell them why you're doing it the way you're doing it, why we do it this way. So I've tried to be available to the younger staff and give them what God has placed inside of me from not only a scripture standpoint, but from an experience standpoint, a prayer standpoint. Because if, if, you, if, if you don't learn from mentors, then you're going to learn from your mistakes. And I'd rather learn from a mentor than a mistake I've made. And so you'll notice I, I have a lot of people that are in my life, older pastors. I really do. Not only in this city, but even all over the world. I honor them and I ask questions and when they give me wisdom, I apply it. I get frustrated when people come to me for wisdom and I, I tell them 
what's going on, what they should do, and they don't do it. I, to me, I'm like, it's the worst thing you can do is go to someone for wisdom, they give it to you, and you don't apply the wisdom, you think you know more than them. You don't do that. If someone gives you their time and their knowledge, you take it. Give peace, give comfort, give wisdom, knowledge, and as I said earlier, joy. We don't want people walking in a spirit of fear. We want them to walk in the power of God, of love, and of a sound mind. Give forgiveness. You got to forgive your children. You got to forgive those that have hurt you. Your children need to see you forgive people. Because if you hold a grudge, they're going to feel like it's okay for them to hold a grudge. And if you really believe what the Bible says, that you've got to forgive to be forgiven, then you've got to forgive in front of your children. And that's hard. It's hard to forgive them. And it's really hard to forgive in front of them. We got to give forgiveness. We got to give strength to our children. As long as we're alive, we can serve as a covering for them. And we, they can gather and gain strength from our lives. But we must understand that there is a strength by way of the Spirit that they can receive from God after we're gone. As I say, give faith to them. Make sure that they know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Make sure that they know the things of the faith and the Word of God. Make sure that they are young men and young women that believe God can still do something. Don't give them religion. Give them faith. Give them faith. If they're going to be successful, they're going to have faith. What is faith practically? It's being willing to risk it all, right? Being willing to risk it all. I had a wealthy businessman. He passed away. He was one of my mentors and friends. He was a businessman. And he told me, he said, you don't know anything about faith, Pastor Ronnie, until you're willing to risk it all. He said, until, you, until you're willing to invest every penny you've got in a business venture, you don't know faith. He said, I've done it three times. Two times it made me millions. One time I lost everything. And he was on his way back when he passed, about to make millions again. He, but he, three times in his life, took every penny he had gained and put it all into a venture. And God came up for him two times and he was rebuilding from the time he lost everything. That's who God is. And by all means, you should have known you were gonna get this before we got out of here. Give them grace, all right? Um, God will show you when to give them discipline and when to give them grace. But I'll tell you this, if you've lived a pretty disciplined life as a parent and you just so happen to have a strong-willed teenager and you've tried everything from discipline to structure to anger to this to that and everything in between and it hasn't worked, try grace. Try loving them when they don't deserve to be loved. Try giving them a second chance that can't be explained. You'll need help from the Holy Spirit to do this because you'll want to. I'm talking about when you're at the very end, like you're done with them, you want them out of your house done with them. Make a grace move. When you should take the car, fix the car. Make a grace move. Not every time. Don't enable sin. But if you've tried everything else and you're at the end of your rope, show them grace and surprise them. It may not bring about an immediate change in their life, but it'll be a seed 
that'll bring back a harvest. Again, don't enable them. Don't grace them every time they mess up. But if you've been structured and you've disciplined them, then at the end of it, teens, 20s, and you're at your end, try to give them grace. We need to live a generosity-filled life. The Bible says, given it will be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with that same measure you give, and you use it, it will be measured back to you. So whatever you give your children, it'll be given back to you. Whatever you pour into the next generation, it will be given back to you. So I challenge you, leave a legacy that lives beyond you. It starts with your walk with God. It certainly starts with your covenant in marriage, having a godly marriage, how you parent your children, how you parent your teens. It starts with protecting your marriage and setting up boundaries so you don't make sexual mistakes in your marriage that bring betrayal and hurt. But it ends with a mutual commitment from husband and wife to leave a legacy, to leave something in their children and grandchildren and in the people that they've mentored or poured into that will live long after they're gone. That is the God method. That is the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob method. That is the method of Jesus. That's what he did for us by leaving his spirit to us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes tonight at 702? Thank you for being here tonight. I know we have rehearsal. Father God, I just thank you for all that will listen to this podcast and all that are here tonight. Father, we all want to be kingdom shakers and legacy makers. And Lord, we all want to leave a legacy in our children and grandchildren. Father God, we pray that we wouldn't be so concerned about what we leave to our children, but rather what we leave in them. So Lord, may we leave the spirit of God in them. May we leave the joy of God in them. May we leave the gift of faith in them. May we leave the gift of grace in them. Lord, teach us to leave your gifts and your word and your spirit in our children and grandchildren and in the people of the community that you've privileged us to mentor. Lord, teach us how to trust your word that our children will be blessed, that our legacy will be remembered when it honors you. Lord, may we not live for today, not even for ourselves, but for those coming after us. Jesus, we love you, we worship you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen and amen.